Well, good morning. You guys should be a little more awake than the first service. You had, you had the extra hour, which is great. I figured, you know, the second service is probably going to be nice and full this morning. And uh, I, the first service was surprisingly fuller than I thought, which was nice to see. But, you know, we are in the round this morning, as Tim shared with us and Eric shared with us, for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of the things it reminded me of as we were singing together and worshiping is, uh, it took me back to the days in high school where you would, at the end of your retreat, you would stand around a bonfire, you know, and you'd all sing. Some guy would be playing the guitar badly, and you'd all sing together, and you have these emotional moments, and you throw your stick in the fire. And I was just thinking about that, and then I realized, if this is the fire, then I'm about to throw myself into the fire, not the stick into the fire. And so here I am in the fire, and I realized that's not a bad metaphor for preaching. That's really what you do. So here I go, but I want to ask you to join with me in this, and the first thing I want you to do is to take your Bible and just hold it in your hands. I don't want you to open it yet, just hold it. Um, I want you, as you hold your Bible, to think about what emotions you have as you think about this text, as you think about this book, Uh, maybe what memories you have about this book in your life, growing up or even as an adult. I want you to think about what comes to your mind when you think about the Bible. I want you to think about how you view it. And I want you just to sort of take in just for a minute all the various different emotions and memories and perceptions and ideas and images that you have about this book. Everybody has something that they're bringing in, into this place as it relates to the Bible, as it relates to the way they think about it. For some of you, you may have some very strong positive emotions relating to this book, maybe memories of growing up, your mom and dad or your grandma and grandpa reading this to you. Others of you may have memories that are not at all positive. They may be some negative memories about a church experience or religious experience or a person or persons in your life that, that, that did not give life in a way to you, and they may have used this book in a way that God would never intend. Others of you may have been late in life before you even thought about the Bible, and now your memories and images of this book are very different than what they might have been as a child. And as you're taking all this in and just thinking about what comes into your mind, what images and emotions and memories flood your mind as you think about the Bible, I want to invite us now to reflect on the series that we've, uh, we are wrapping up today. We've been for the last nine weeks, today's week 10 of this series, on the Word of God, written, living, and active. And we've covered a lot of ground. And one of the reasons we're in the round this morning is I want to give you all a chance to sort of join with me in this sermon. You're going to preach part of the sermon if you want to. I won't put anybody on the spot, but at the end of my short message this morning, I'm going to give you a chance to reflect on two questions, and I'll give you a couple of minutes even to write down a response to two different questions. And then I'll ask some of you to share, just anybody that would like to can just share what they wrote down, what God's been up to through the Bible, especially in the last two and a half months as we've intently focused on this book in our teaching series. Well, before we get there, I want to do two things. I want to review where we've been in the series, so to catch some of you up that you've been in and out, or maybe this is your first week here. In fact, if it's your first week here, you're going to get the whole series in one message. Perfect timing. So I want to do that first. We'll review where we've been. And then secondly, I want us to reflect on one verse 
That's kind of been a theme verse or a key verse for us in this series. And sort of just draw out some learnings from that and then apply them to our lives and invite you all to, to finish the sermon as we share together what God's been up to in our lives. So let's review where we've been. You know, one of our goals for the series is that you'd come to see this book differently. So we actually started by asking you what comes into your mind when you think about the Bible. And if you remember, for those of you that were here, we had a stack of books on the stage. And they were an encyclopedia and a car manual and a diet book and a children's book of fairy tales. And and we kind of asked you, which one of these books is most like how you tend to view the Bible? Do you tend to only go to it when things are broken down like you would your car manual? Is, is the Bible in your mind sort of that book that, that you really, you know, you should read, but you don't really want to read like the, like the diet manual? Or do you see it as this sort of thick encyclopedia of information that maybe a long time ago had relevance, but now we've sort of moved beyond that? And, and I think all of us tend to sort of have these different impressions and ideas of the Bible, but then we held up another image, and it was this picture of clear drinking water. And we said, our prayer is throughout this series that you would come more and more to see the Bible like this, like water that would be refreshing to your soul that you're thirsty for, whether you know it or not. And then week two, Lloyd was here, and he talked about from Psalm 119 how the Scripture, if you really allow it to begin to transform your life, can become something that you delight in. And we began to discover our thirst, even in the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119. And Lloyd said this, which always stuck with me throughout this series, our hearts don't long for a text. They long for a love relationship with a person. And it's the text that links us to that person that our hearts long for. So week three, we talked about who that person was, the person of Jesus Christ, who is called in Scripture, the Word, capital W, the Word made flesh in John chapter 1. And we asked the question, if we call ourselves Christ followers, it should matter to us what Jesus thought of the Bible and how Jesus interacted with the Bible, which at his time was the Old Testament, which we would, he would have had when he was walking on the earth. And so we asked ourselves, how did Jesus view the Bible? And we discovered three things. Number one, he affirmed it as highly and strongly as anyone could possibly affirm the scripture. Number two, he fulfilled it. In other words, all the writings of all the scripture ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And third, he embodied it. The word made flesh. Isn't that an interesting title for Jesus Christ? The word. So we have the Word, and we have the Word. And the relationship between the two are remarkable. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that this book points to. And he's literally the embodiment of God's voice, Jesus being the second person of the Trinity who has been made flesh so that we could see what God and experience who God is in a more full way. So we talked about Jesus, and then after those three weeks, which were all sort of an introduction to this series, we began to walk through some different categories of the Scripture. And the first category we talked about is God's words authoritative. And our text for that morning was 2 Timothy 3.16, one of the most important verses to know about the Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And so if you want to know, is the Bible authoritative over my life? Ask yourself, is God authoritative over your life? Because the Bible is, in essence, as close to God's own authority as his very breath, as he's breathed out these words through the human authors in this kind of miraculous idea called the inspiration of Scripture, the God-breathing of Scripture. 
So that was the first category. God's word is authoritative. And we also talked in that same week about the idea that we tend to think of authority as oppressive. But the reality is when you're living under the God's proper authority, it actually frees you up. It, it gives you the guidelines and the constraints necessary to be fully human. We were designed to live under the authority of God, and it makes us more fully alive as we submit to that. Then we talked about the sufficiency of God's word, that God's word is enough. Enough for what? Well, enough for salvation and godly living. So in other words, the message of the scripture is sufficient in and of itself to bring you to salvation in Jesus Christ and then teach you how to please God in obedience as you live out your salvation. Bill then the following week was here and gave us a living picture of what it means for God's word to be sufficient. If you were here, you won't forget what he shared, that he'd been struggling for a number of months with depression and it was the word of God that had been sustaining him, that it had been his sufficiency. And he taught a message that he called a little bit of a halftime for us in this series as he encouraged us to not just be learning things about God's word, but actually be reading it and allowing it to sustain us as it had been sustaining him. Then the following week, we talked about the clarity of God's word. And Lloyd was here, talked about that, that there are some things in the Bible that are difficult to understand, but the things that you really need to know are crystal clear. And in order to demonstrate that, he, he did what was one of my favorite memories from this series. He asked you all to share with one another a verse of scripture that had been an encouragement and blessing to you. And so you all literally spoke a clear word from God to one another on that Sunday as we sort of shared. We're going to do something similar even today. God's word is clear. And then two weeks ago, we talked about the truth of God's word, the idea of inerrancy, that in its original documents, we actually hold the belief that the Bible's without error. And there are many people out there that would say, isn't that sort of an old-fashioned view? How could the Bible be without any error? And we essentially answered that question by saying, we believe that the one who breathed the words of the Bible is incapable of error, is incapable of lying. So the definition we gave of inerrancy, at least one of the definitions, was this. The Bible is simply the speech act of a God who cannot lie and has chosen to reveal himself to us using words. Isn't that remarkable? That a God who cannot lie has chosen to reveal himself using words. We can trust those words can trust those words. So God's word is authoritative, it's sufficient, it's clear, it's true. And then last week, Michael was here talking about how God's word's also exclusive. And, and this is a message that many of us struggle with because we live in a culture that doesn't like to declare anything as exclusive. But we were reminded last week that if God's word is connected to God himself, then the message from God is not only true, but it has to be exclusive because truth, by definition, is exclusive. If one thing is true, then other things are not true. And this is the message that God has given to us, to all, to anyone who believes. Well, we've worked our way through these theological categories and we've tried to sort of make them applicable, tried to make them come alive. I would say it this way, although... All those categories set the Bible apart and make it a remarkable book and a unique book. I think the thing that's most miraculous about the scripture is the fact that it is the chosen vehicle of God 
a chosen vehicle of God, I would say, to reveal his presence to us and to accomplish his work in us. In other words, the Bible is alive. It's living. It's active. There's a phrase that I'd love for you to kind of take out of this series. If you remember anything going forward from the teaching of this series, I hope it might be this. You cannot separate the word of God from the presence of God and the work of God. You cannot separate the word of God from his presence and his work. Now, why do I think that's so important? Because we tend to view this book as just sort of information about God or information of what to do in order to get my life right or information about how I should live in such a way that God may be pleased with me. That's how we tend to view this book. But what we're going to see in this verse that we're about to read is it's not this stale, old grouping of texts. Yes, these texts are ancient Yes, we're reading things that have been written thousands of years ago, but these words are alive. God is up to something in these words. And the things that he's up to is being present with us and then working inside of us. So I want you now to open your Bibles. We're going to look at a verse together from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. This has been a theme verse, but we actually haven't had an opportunity to exposit this verse in particular, so we want to do that briefly this morning. In fact, this verse is what formed the subtitle of this series, the Word of God, Written, Living, and Active. So I'll read Hebrews 4.12, and you can follow along with me, and then we'll talk about it for a couple of minutes. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I want to unpack those two key words, living and active. We'll start with living. In Greek, it's exactly what you think it means. It means alive. One translation goes this way. God's word is alive, you see. Exclamation point. I came across a story as I was studying for this message. Um, N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, recounts a time where an American professor many decades ago traveled to Oxford uh, University there in college where he was going to be a one-year resident as a part of the faculty of that college for a year. And he and his wife were walking around these old, old buildings at Oxford some of them were tumbling down. It was very obvious they'd been there for hundreds of years. I mean, just old stone. And at one point, the wife turns to the husband, and, and she, she had seen curtains on some windows and some people stirring inside. And she said, honey, those ruins are inhabited. And then N.T. Wright writes this, reflecting on that story. Many people who open the Bible at random have an experience rather like the woman in Oxford. To begin with, the Bible sometimes looks like a jumble of old bits and pieces of writing, a rag bag of poetry, history, folk tales, ethical instruction, and some strange stories about some even stranger people. Reading the Bible can seem, at least to begin with, like wandering through old courtyards where somebody once lived, but a long time ago. But then, just when you're tempted to put the whole thing aside as interesting, perhaps, but not really relevant, you sense movement in life, something stirring there. There's an energy. 
as though someone's left a light on or music is playing in the old building. Maybe it's inhabited after all. It seems to have a life, a breath even. Christians throughout time have believed that the reason the scriptures were alive was because God had breathed them in the first place. And the warmth and life of that creative breath is still present and powerful. I remember in the second week of the series, Lloyd played us a clip of the field of dreams and that voice that said, if you build it, he will come. And then he said, isn't it true that if you read it, he will come? God uses the scriptures to inhabit our lives. As we hear his voice, we are hearing the voice of one who is closer to us than our breath. God's word is alive. God's word is also active. Active is an English word that's translating the Greek energase. What English word do you think we get usually from the Greek word energase? Anyone take a guess? Energy. Energy. The idea that the Bible is not only alive, but it's on the move. It has energy. It's not dead. It's not slumbering. God's words are active. They have energy. They're on the move. And you think about God's words having power to accomplish things. We talked in week one or two, somewhere early in the series, about the fact that words do things. They're not just passive. So when I say to you, I appreciate something about you, that, that actually does something to you. Even chemically, scientists can study that. It encourages you. It pushes you forward. When you say to a child, you encourage them and build them up. Something's being shaped and formed. When we knock each other down, something's being accomplished as well. When you make a promise, you're actually doing something. You're obligating yourself relationally to someone. There's a new step toward a relationship. If you keep that promise, you're building the relationship. If you break that promise, you're tearing down the relationship. Words do things. God's word in particular accomplishes much. From Genesis, when God said, let there be, he used a word to create the cosmos all the way to the New Testament, when God declares us righteous, not by our own work, but by the work of Jesus Christ, his word is accomplishing something. It's doing something. Words do things. God's word is alive, and God's word is on the move. It's active. It's shaping. Well, what is the work? What is the work that God is doing across this planet through his word? I'd say it's the same work that he's doing in your own heart through his word. There is an activity, a movement, a work that God intends to do in your life. And he's doing it through the Holy Spirit, yes. But the Holy Spirit, as he's speaking the words of Scripture to you and shaping you and forming you. I want to invite us to continue reading this passage in a minute to see the two things that God's word will always do in your life. Number one is it will expose our sickness. It will expose our disease, our depravity. And number two, it will always point us to the Savior. Always point us to the healer. Read along with me in verse 13. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That last phrase, with whom we have to do, means the one that we're accountable to. Now, that, that's a frightening passage that the word of God exposes us to that level. 
That's the first work that God's word will always do in you. I think it's the reason why some of us shy away from reading it is because we know if I read this book, it's going to slice me open. It's going to expose even the thoughts and intentions of my heart in verse 12. Who can stand to that? But here's the wonderful thing about God's word. It always takes you to Jesus. It always takes you to, the sal- to your salvation. It always takes you to the healer. Listen in verse 14, the very next verse. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, right? A high priest is one who intercedes between God and the people. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Does that give you some comfort as your sin is exposed by the word of God? It does me. Then verse 16, therefore, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Not the throne of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try to do better next time. Not the throne of jump through these religious hoops in order to earn your acceptance by God. Not the throne of feel guilty because of the way that you're not living or the way that you're not disciplined enough in your walk with Christ. The throne of grace. You find that here in this text. It always takes you to the throne of grace because it always takes you to Jesus. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and so that we may find grace to help in time of need. Anybody here this morning in time of need? The Bible will always cut you open to allow the great surgeon to do his work deep in your heart, to bring you to mercy, to bring you to grace, to bring you to Jesus encourage you to repent once again, to trust in Jesus more fully than you have been, to put your hope in him, to receive new life, forgiveness, grace, and mercy that fuels you. And yes, you know that you will fall again, but you also know that this book will always take you back to Jesus. That's the work that the word of God is doing. It's pointing us toward our Savior. Now, I want to give you a couple minutes to reflect on this. And I'm going to give you two specific questions. And you'll have two or three minutes just to write down a response. And I'm going to ask you just to allow God to just speak to you even during this time. And you don't have to share. I'm not going to put anybody in the spotlight. But if you would like to share your response to either of these two questions, we'd love for you to do that. Question number one is this. And just write this down to give yourself a chance to reflect on it. How have you experienced God's presence through his word? How have you experienced his presence? In other words, how have you found, as you've read the Bible, that God has actually been closer to you, that he's been drawing near to you, that maybe he's just opening your eyes to his presence, the fact that he's there? How have you experienced God's presence through his word? Question number two, how have you experienced his work in you through his word? What has God been up to in your life recently? How has he been using the scripture? How has he been using the Bible, even this series, to shape you, mold you, 
stretch you, change your thinking, maybe change your attitude, change behaviors. So, so how has God used his word essentially to, to show up in your life through his presence and then to be on the move in your life through his work? Because you can't really separate the word of God from his presence and from his work. Take two minutes just to write some things down. We'll have a little music playing and then I'll come up here and ask a few of you to share. You know, I said at the beginning that preaching is a little bit like throwing yourself into the fire. Sharing can feel that way sometimes too, right? But here's what happens. So you throw yourself into this fire and there's a sense that you're consumed. But there's also a little bit of a brightness for everybody else to catch a glimpse of God at work. And so I'm going to invite some of you to do that. I'm going to invite some of you to share. Doesn't have to be deep doesn't have to be emotionally gut-wrenching, but we just want to know. We, we want to care about one another and hear what God's been up to in our lives. So who'd like to be the first person to share? What's God been up to in your life? How has he shown up in your life through his presence or been at work in you through his word over the last couple of months? Who's first? Tell, would you tell everyone your name? Before sure. You start? <laughs> My name's Tim Allen. Um, we're the family with a large van. Um, I would just like to share and say that uh, over the course of my Christian walk and through this study that the pastors have so richly blessed us with is that understanding that Christ did not come to conquer in spite of my fear. He came to conquer through my fears. And that has been so revealing through this study of how he conquers through my fears. Thank you, Tim. I saw a guy put his arm around his wife and I was like, Ooh, oh no, he's just stretching, right? <laughs> Who else would like to share? Just... Maybe even read to us what you wrote down or share something else. Yes. If you just tell us your name. Thanks. My name is Jody Strock, and uh, I've attended fellowship since 1999 when we were in the high school, and we were gone to Texas for five years, but I have three redheaded daughters. One of them's not in here with me now. Um, my, uh, I've been reading about Saul and David and Jonathan, and this is one of the, I'm pretty old to just now be having this revelation, but I'm more into the stories of the Bible instead of just the Psalms and the Proverbs, and like reading about David and Saul and Jonathan, a couple of things that I've taken away is like how Jonathan was this really good guy, but he had to sit there and watch David become the anointed one. So he kind of had this secondary role in the whole thing. And that must have made him kind of jealous because the scriptures talk about what a good man Jonathan was. Well, he never got picked. And I was like, I, I kind of see that, you know, going on in regular life. And then the fact that Jonathan had more of a corrupt father and then watching Saul, who tried to do the right thing sometimes, but continually just made bad choices. And then God placed an evil spirit around him, which I know is a little more Old Testament-y. But still, it just has been, I don't know, it's been a step back for me to look at this and go, I see a lot of similarities in my own life today and that there's people who maybe thought that they might get chosen by God for something bigger or greater, but they're waiting for that to happen or they don't understand why it hasn't. Um, but there's a role that they're playing and maybe they don't even realize it. And then the choices of Saul have been the same way. They've just, all of it together, threaded together has been um, helping me. And then it's been neat to try to go forward to the Psalms and see um, 
the desperate place that David was. He'd been anointed, and then I think we're 16 years in, and nothing's happened, but he's been chased by people, and they've been trying to kill him, and he's made dumb choices, but God's still bringing him along. And Anyway, it's just been, um, I've dug in a little bit more since we started this series. So. Jody, thank you for sharing with us. Just for me, uh, two things. One was Genesis 1-1. God spoke everything into existence, and things were set in motion. We talked about that today. And the second most powerful thing for me would be it is finished. So it, we're somewhere in the middle, hmm. right? Uh, and when I can stop and remember that uh, you know, God's providing wind, he's providing currents, I should have the experience of just adjusting the sails. That's what life should look like. Uh, and when I'm seeing the headwinds, uh, just one or two things, either A, I'm not in the will, uh, or B, I'm being trained, right? Resistance training. And uh, so when I can, when I can remember that, uh, everything looks exactly as it's supposed to. And when I don't remember that, everything's wrong. Very good. Thank you, Joe. We've got time for a couple more. All right, that, that's a good sign. Sweaty hands. I guess that means I'm supposed to share. Is it on? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, for me, the idea of it being the living word has really been powerful. The idea that you can read something, you know how one time you read it and it is what it is, and then another time you read it and just something pops out totally different and affects you. Um, I don't want to be disrespectful because I know that the Lord told us how to pray, okay? But for me, this was a revelation that came. I think I compartmentalize my spiritual life. Uh, that time when you go and you sit down and you read and you pray and you feel that resistance and, oh, you know, I'm being honest here. Um, and I think that what I have come to realize or what I felt like he spoke to me was it's not an amen this is what came to me okay it's not an amen and what that means is when I start my prayer in the morning and how I have applied that in my life is I don't say amen at the end of it because if he told us that we're supposed to pray without ceasing um, now this is how my brain works okay then it's not an amen right I'm going to keep praying all day long when somebody has something on Facebook or whatever, or whatever. And it's more like through the day. And then when I put my head on the pillow, amen. So that's kind of something that was practical that came out for me. Love it. Thank you for sharing that. I want you to hear from one more person uh, through a video. And uh, you're going to hear the story of Russ Cook. Russ is a member right here of Fellowship Franklin. He's been here about a year now. In fact, he was in the first service sitting right there. And uh, I heard about Russ's story and really in process of us making this video. And I hadn't heard it before. And I thought, our body needs to hear this story for a couple reasons. Number one is most of you don't know Russ's story. Number two, I want you to hear it because I can't think of a better illustration of the Word of God being present, being alive, and also being active. 
in someone's life. And it'll encourage you and remind you that God's word is at work, literally transforming lives. And I want you to see how Russ's life has been transformed by reading the Bible. Then after we watch this short video, we're going to sing together. We're going to have an opportunity to worship. As we worship, we're going to sing a song that's become a theme for us throughout this series. And we're going to close our service that way. So take a look at this video. My wife had found this camp through a circle of friends. It was the um, summer camp that they give at a lot of the churches. She just signed them up because the kids' friends were going and her friends' kids were going and that was it. It wasn't something that was really planned between my wife and I. She just decided to do it. They were coming back with questions that I found I could not answer. And so that's when I decided that I would just pick up the Bible and start reading. We really didn't think it was going to be a life-changing event for either one of us. I did not have a Bible in my home at the time. Um, In fact, I had to go to the library and check a Bible out. I looked at it at first, and it's it's a huge book. I didn't know what Bible to start out with. I was a little confused because there were so many different versions. So I just started with the King James Version. And I didn't really think I was going to get anywhere except for maybe a a small history lesson, maybe some good stories out of it. I looked at it just like any other homework project, I guess, that you would help the kids with. By the time I, I got into the Bible and was suddenly driven The idea of me learning about this just for them kind of went away. And I realized that this was drawing me in. So even though they stopped asking those questions, I just kept going. It was God reaching out to me through the Bible. Each chapter that I read or each book that I read seemed to build on the last one. As I got into the prophets, I realized that this really was just one story going through, and it was then that I started feeling my whole idea behind, you know, what I was reading changing me. I was suddenly realizing, okay, this is not a history book. This is, this is a whole lot more. I did not expect it to be one story. I did not expect it to speak to me in that way. I did not expect it to be coordinated. I did not expect it to be, you know, as many authors who didn't meet writing about things. I didn't expect it to be prophets talking about Jesus in the future, 750 years before he was born. It was the Holy Spirit working in me, but it was changing me in ways that I could gradually accept. I didn't know what I had until I got to Matthew and the New Testament and it just kind of hit me like a bolt of lightning. This is God speaking to me. I can tell. I mean, that's the message. That was the message that was being given through the entire Old Testament. The change happened in such a very deep and basic way that I was now a different person. It wasn't until I got to the point I'm at now that I realized that I'm 
I'm much more at peace. I always felt like there was something more to life that I was missing out on, and I really didn't know how to put my finger on it. I really didn't know. I don't feel that hole anymore, and I don't feel the need to, to do something to fill it, because it's filled. Fellowship, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. Pray with me. Our Father, may we glorify and enjoy you above everything else because you created us for this purpose and because it is for our joy and our fulfillment. Father, thank you for giving us your word to guide us there. May we believe it. May we take delight in it. May we treasure it. May we study it. May we submit to it so that we may look more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Have a great day. You're dismissed.